I hope you have been praying for Nigeria. I said, I hope you have been praying for Nigeria. You know, east or west, there's no place like home. Yeah. And a lot is going on in our country that we need to be aware of and um, lend our voice to it so that we can change the narrative. Uh, one of the things that can cause trouble for a people is when a narrative is, has become prevalent and um, we're not lending our voice to it to try to do a reconstruction in your own little corner at work, at home, within you know, your neighborhood, when people gather together just to gist where you're having a drink with friends. It's an opportunity for all of us to lend our voices to the narratives, things going on around our nation. One of the, the I mean, you know, the, the, the thing that the Holy Spirit has been putting on my mind for a while now are just two words, love and respect. Yeah, love and respect. So if you, have, if you don't know how to, to, to shape the narrative, I want to give you those two words. Yeah. Love and respect. If we will push for love and for respect for each other, notwithstanding what part of the country you're from and, you know, where you are in life, our nation will get better. Our, you know, tribal bigotry and, you know, you know racial, you know, mindsets and whatever you want to call it, I don't, I mean, the, the prevailing, you know, idiosyncrasies will will make way for the love of God and respect for one another. We're where we are because we lack love and respect for each other. Yeah. Whether it's in resource control or whatever area of argument you want to take it to, if there's love and respect for each other, we will not be where we are. And to change this narrative, we need to start to push for love and respect. Yeah. And you need to demonstrate it. Yeah. That you are... Uh, from the east or west or north does not mean that you should behave somehow to somebody from another part of the country. In the eyes of God, there are no minorities. Every human being, even without father and mother, without family, is, you know, is an important person in the eyes of God. Yeah. And I believe that as we push this a bit more, uh, we, we will, the, the, the construction of the narrative will start to change. And then our prayer also becomes more meaningful because a lot of the time we just pray we do, and then we do nothing. Yeah. It's worse when you are not even talking. Some people are not interested in what's going on in Nigeria. Yeah. What I'm saying is let's lend our voice to it. Let's come from the standpoint of kingdom, 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 kingdom culture, kingdom mindset, kingdom thinking. How does God, I mean, how does God see a human being, a person, notwithstanding where the person is from? And if we would, you know, exalt kingdom values amongst ourselves to be able to love and respect each other, all this ultimatum or no ultimatum we cease. Yeah. When, you, when something is coming from a heart that lacks love and respect, you can see, you can show. I mean, it shows. And I just feel like, you know, dropping those few words here this morning so that, uh, you know, when we come to church like this, there are no, no tribal bigotry in church. Am I saying the truth? Yeah? We don't say this, this person is from that, that person is from that. Yeah? So how come in our normal life as Nigerians, we cannot uphold that? That's just what I'm talking about. Will you respect a Muslim this week, notwithstanding their religion? Yeah. Would you, as a Yoruba man or Hausa man, respect somewhat from the southeast or south-south this week, 
just love and respect, and then we get better. Yeah. And we keep saying it. And let that be your own narrative whenever this uh, discussion show up yeah, from this week. And I'm trusting God for wisdom for us as a church uh, to actually also come out with a communication that will be able to you know, push this further. Praise God. I believe there's wisdom, of, there's wisdom from God for the issues of our nation. Yeah. Strong wisdom for that matter. Some things have been happening. I'm, I'm digressing a bit. Don't worry, I'm going to the world very shortly. A few weeks ago, I was in the nation of Rwanda for a whole week of mission work, teaching and preaching and all that. And I went to the Genocide Museum, museum there and um, a few other places and interacted with people. And I saw a correlation between what's happening in our nation and what can result into what they experience as in genocide. And this past week, I was at the Global Leadership Summit in Chicago up to Friday night. I just arrived yesterday. On Friday, a lady, uh, um, Imakuli, that's her name, she was the only surviving child of a family of five or so. Um, Parents were killed. Two brothers were killed in a genocide. And she gave a story. We're going to um, show it here when we, we bring the Global Leadership Summit here. But just listening to that lady talk about our experience. It just dawned on me that when there's a narrative and the devil is sponsoring some agenda over a nation and we keep quiet about it, it's because we don't know where it can get to. Yeah. We don't know where it can get to. And, you know, we're limited to tribe and all those things. It's the devil sponsoring an agenda because there's, there's, when hatred goes to a particular level, every other wicked things can join hands with it. Yeah. It takes hatred for a man to see his wife and stab his wife. It starts with small hatred. Then it goes to a point where you can actually take somebody's life. And, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And there's, you know, before the last election, hate speech was, you know, uh, um, was spoken against seriously and uh, it, it was reducing. But now it's the order of the day for you to have hate speech in our nation. People talk about different tribes anyhow they like. Yeah. And nobody's saying anything. We need to start to say something. We need to start to demand that we respect each other and that we love each other. So I want you to help me look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I love and respect you. Notwithstanding who you are, or which part of the country you came from. I choose to love you and I choose to respect you. Glory be to God. Let's appreciate Jesus. I don't have enough time this morning, but my heart is full, you know, about what I just spoke to you about. And I believe that God wants to use you and he wants to use me to, to do something, starting with prayer, but also to start to change the narrative because the prevailing narrative, uh, see, a life will go in the direction of the most dominant thought. A nation will go in the direction of the most dominant thought. The prevailing narrative and the most dominant thought over our nation right now is that of hate, 
and it's that of tribal separation, and we should not allow it. Yeah, it will lead us in the wrong place. We should not allow it. We need to take responsibility. We'll talk more about it some other time. Praise God. I said, praise God. Also, I want to encourage somebody that as we change the emphasis of our teachings, it does not mean that we're going to stop winning souls. Soul winning is the primary calling of a believer. Primary. Primary calling of a believer is to be a soul winner. To be a soul winner. So we need to be careful about that. We'll continue to make tracks and conversation starters available after the service, you know, out there that you can pick up and win a soul. You have many things that God has called you to do, but the primary calling is to bring people into the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Every other thing shall be added, added to it. There's no calling on your life right now, no business or career that you're pursuing right now that is an end in itself. It's a means to an end. What is the end? of my business is that the kingdom of God may progress. Yeah. The moment I cut myself off from God's agenda, what I'm doing becomes meaningless. Yeah. What I'm doing becomes, when, when a pastor is in ministry for personal aggrandizement and popularity and all that, that ministry becomes meaningless because it's no longer going to be pursuing the agenda of God but the agenda of man. When a man is running a business, and it's all about how I'm going to be the richest man and overtake the richest man in Africa and all that. And so you can do anything to make the next billion. You can, you can cut people down. You can do, and you are a Christian. It means uh, that thing has become an end in itself to you. But if you understand that the kingdom of God is our first agenda and everything, yeah. A marriage is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end, and the end is that the kingdom of God will be established. So if we think like that, then we understand that everything that God has given us, there are platforms that God wants to use to expand his own kingdom. So you, you, can't, you can't do it as you like. We have to have it as primary thing on our mind. How will the kingdom of God progress? How will people come into the kingdom? So on a weekly basis, we keep, to talk, we keep talking to people about, you know, their life with God, and how God is looking out for them. And we pray for souls. All in agreement, say hi. I said we pray for souls, and we win souls. Say amen, somebody. We start a new series of teachings this morning that I've tagged the seven commandments of foolishness. The title of the series is taken from uh, my book, my second book written in 2012. Early 2012. 2011, I was studying about wisdom. Just how the wisdom of God operates. And in that study, I came in contact with the fact that when you understand how foolishness works, there's a possibility that flipping it, you may begin to apply your heart to wisdom. What does it take for a man to remain foolish? If you understand it, perhaps you may start to understand also what it takes for a man to start to gain wisdom, the pathway to wisdom. So that's, that's the, the, the thinking behind the concept of the seven commandments of foolishness. That if we know the commandments of foolishness and we choose to disobey them, then we may be turning our hearts to wisdom. So I wrote a book in 2012 titled The Seven Commandments of Foolishness. Um, I realized that the average member of this church has not read the book or has not interacted with the 
principles in that book. So I decided that this month, our teaching on wisdom is going to be centered on the seven commandments of foolishness. I want to encourage you to pick the book. As we go on, you see why you need to pick up the book. By the way, I'm not saying you should pick the book because I want to sell a book. Yeah, I'm not a bookseller. I'm a pastor. And I know my calling. I've written seven books. And I've never made one naira from selling a book. I chose not to for now. A lot of my books just, you know, we make something, use it to produce more so we can distribute to less privileged people who will not be able to buy. So sometimes we give it out for half the price, for cost price, and sometimes we go to some places and just distribute. When Seven Commandments of Foolishness was written in 2012, we went to the Palms Mall. I think it, just, um, it was just a few months to its opening then. And we gave out 3,000 copies for free. Yeah, 3,000 copies on a Saturday. So that's just a buttress what I'm talking about. So saying that you should buy the book is not because I want to sell a book. I'm not a bookseller. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I'm an author, uh, and I author books to bless lives. Uh, God blesses me in so many ways, and if he chooses to bless me for my books, fine. But for now, I just don't have a release in my heart about that. So that does not mean that if you write a book, you should not make money from it. My discussion with God is different from your discussion with God. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So this is not scripture. It's not law. I'm just saying that for now, I don't make money from books. In the future, I may. And if you are making, continue to make, there's no problem in that. Yeah. If you produce something, you should make money from it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to clarify so that you know that the reason why I'm saying buy the book is not because I want to enrich myself. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Praise God. Join me in your Bibles in Proverbs chapter 9. I will read from verse 1 to 12. It's a long reading. As we start this discussion on the seven commandments of foolishness, I will start out by saying one or two things about wisdom that will bring it into perspective to you. And then we're going to discuss the first commandment of foolishness and we'll take it from that in uh, services uh, from now. Proverbs chapter 9 from verse 1 to 12. Wisdom has built a house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet. Mixed the wine and set the table. She has sent a servant to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights and uh, heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, Come, eat my food and drink my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind. And begin to leave. Learn to use good judgment. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So, don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will, even, they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Fear, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy, Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. You will not suffer. I said you will not suffer in the name of Jesus. Wisdom, the Bible says, also in Proverbs chapter 
4 and verse 5 and 6, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom is the principal thing. So therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. There's a premium that is placed on wisdom all through the scriptures. And it's important for one to know that if you want to make a good life and you, 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 you don't want to struggle through life, because the Bible says if the iron is blown, then there's need for more uh, uh, strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. If you don't want to struggle through life, you need to be someone who is open to embracing the wisdom of God from time to time. Because for every situation of life, there's always a wisdom angle to it. There's a wisdom angle to it. There's a foolishness angle to it. Every aspect of life has a wisdom angle and a foolishness angle to it. There's a foolish way to run a marriage and a wise way to run a marriage. There's a foolish way to run a business and a wise way to run a business. There's a foolish way to work with God and there's a wise way to work with God. Glory be to Jesus. I'll be throwing out a wisdom challenge all through this series for the next 31 days. We'll read a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. It's your commitment to renew your heart towards wisdom. The book of Proverbs is loaded with wisdom nuggets that you will do well if you embrace them. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If you read one per day, at the end of the next 31 days, you can't be the same. You can't be the same. I can guarantee you that. You can't be the same. Something will jump at you. Maybe in the morning, maybe at night, that can reconfigure how you think and how you see life. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Or say better amen, somebody. Amen. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Being wise, soundness of judgment in matters of life and conduct. I think that's the Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. Being wise, soundness of judgment in matters of life and conduct. Soundness of judgment in the matters of life and conduct. That means the way life is playing out the way you conduct yourself suggests that level of wisdom that you are operating in. Another definition says, the quality of being wise, the faculty of making the best use of knowledge, experience, and understanding. The quality of being wise, and then making the best use of knowledge, experience, and understanding. I choose to put it this way. That knowledge is education, wisdom is application. Knowledge is education, Wisdom is application. I'm blessed to have gone to school. At least I have three degrees. And I can say, when it comes to the arena of knowledge, I know a little bit, just a little. But I've seen that wisdom is different from just acquiring knowledge. Because you need to be able to put the wisdom to practice so that you see tangible results in life. That's when the wisdom of God is in operation in your life. You see somebody who has acquired knowledge? You know, somebody can know how to live long, but yet not be able to live long. Because wisdom speaks to practical application of knowledge. Yeah. And I'm not talking about tragedy. I'm talking about people working themselves into things that will make, that will short, bring, I mean, uh, um, Cut down the number of their days, if I can put it that way. One of the best ways to describe what I'm saying is when they say that tobacco smokers are liable to die young. 
and it's written and signed by the surgeon general. And you see many consultant surgeons dying at 60 because of tobacco smoking. And they research and certify the statement. So you see there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom says take, stay away from it. <laughs> knowledge says it will kill you. Uh, foolishness says so, something will kill somebody. <laughs> that somebody must die or something. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Foolishness says everybody will die or something. Yeah. So <laughs> wisdom says stay away from this thing because it can cut short your life. I don't know if you are getting me. Extremely important. Extremely important. So, wisdom is essential for good living. And like I said, it's the principal thing. It's the principal thing. Let's check out the character of wisdom. I'll do this very quickly and go to the first commandment of, of foolishness. The character of wisdom. When you read through the Bible, you see Jesus describing the character of wisdom. You see in the book of James also the character of wisdom uh, seriously extrayed in James chapter 3. I mean, for instance, in John chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 7 and verse 35, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and he said John came, and he was doing this, doing that, and then the Son of Man came, and he said he's a wine Bible and friend of sinners, and all. He said, wisdom is justified by our children. The result that is producing. Jesus was saying, look, you are criticizing me for how I roll around with sinners and all that, but you see how people are giving their life to Christ and getting better. Wisdom is justified by our children. The result that it produces. You cannot claim to have wisdom and you are not making progress in the right direction. Yeah. Some people, like I was saying in the first service, if you haven't prayed for wisdom in the past month or in the past quarter, something is wrong. Because if you're really engaging serious issues in life, it calls for continuous prayer for wisdom. I don't know about you, but I wake up every day trusting God for wisdom. I make decisions that affect people's lives. I make decisions that will affect my family, my young children. I value their destiny. I value the destinies of the members of this church. And I'm not sure a day pass will pass without me praying for wisdom. I'm telling you. I want to counsel somebody, and the person is outside, and I'm in my office, and I'm, before I say my PA should call the person in, the last prayer I'll pray, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom here. Because this is a destiny that is at stake. I'm not a professional pastor. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. A, pro- a professional has templates. <laughs> you just roll in the templates. No. We're talking about destinies. You don't do templates with destiny. Because every destiny is unique. Are you still with me today? Yeah, every destiny is unique. So I find myself praying for wisdom all of the time. Literally, I can't even count no of time I trust God for wisdom on a daily basis or on a hour basis, depending on what I'm doing. I'm going to a meeting, I'm asking God for wisdom. Because it may be a meeting where we're making decisions about, for instance, maybe how to spend money. And I know I'm going to stand before God on the day of judgment to account for the money that you give. So I ask God for wisdom. But you see, there's a point you can get to that you think that you are all in all in yourself. You no longer pray for wisdom. You use templates. Many marriages are breaking down because you are using template. Template that you got from beer parlor. Template that you got from, from the internet. You just roll it in. Yeah. This is how husbands should talk to their wife. When husbands are supposed to seek wisdom about how to talk to his wife. When wives are supposed to seek wisdom about how to talk to this particular husband. Because this one is unique. 
that's why you can't, you shouldn't go without trusting God for wisdom all the time, all the time. It's extremely important that we trust God for wisdom all the time. So there's a character of wisdom. I just want to do this quickly so that somebody here can know how, you know, whether the wisdom you're operating in now is the wisdom of God or not. So in James chapter 3, when you read from verse 13 to 17, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your heart, do not boast. Uh, Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. So there's demonic wisdom. There's sensual wisdom. There's wisdom of this world. That's what the scripture is talking about. The next verse says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Somebody say pure. Then peaceable, somebody say peaceable. Gentle, somebody say gentle. Willing to yield, somebody say willing to yield. Full of mercy, somebody say mercy. And good fruits. Look at this. He said without partiality and without hypocrisy. These, ladies and gentlemen, are what you can call the character of godly wisdom. Somebody may be listening to me right now. How do you judge that the decision that you are about to make or that you have just made, they are, you made them with the wisdom of God. Put them side by side with this template. I was saying in the first service, and I had a word for somebody in that service. I don't know whether that word is still applicable to somebody in this service. When we got to this point, willing to yield, the Holy Spirit stopped me. And he said, there's a word for somebody in that service. See, when you made a decision... Everybody is speaking to you. And you are not willing to yield or listen. It cannot be wisdom from above. Because the Bible says the wisdom which is from above is willing to yield. New King James Version says easily entreatable. This one that nobody, friends can't talk to you, siblings can't talk to you, pastor can't talk to you, nobody can talk to you, you have made up your mind. It can't be wisdom from above. The wisdom which is from God is peaceable. The wisdom which is from God is pure, is gentle, easily entreated. Yeah. Easy to be entreated. Look at King James Version. Easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. It's gentle. Easy to be entreated. There's somebody in this service. You're listening to me right now, maybe watching on the internet. Everybody has been talking to you. Or you keep saying, I've made up my mind. Open that mind. Small. Just small. Perhaps God wants to pour out a particular gauge of wisdom into it. That can be the game changer so that you won't struggle for the rest of your life. When we're hard-hearted and we make certain decisions, some some of those decisions lead us into, uh, uh, you know, lifelong, you know, struggle. and, And, you know, just trying to unravel it, but yet the door is shut. I want to encourage somebody this morning. Make sure 
that you are engaging God's wisdom. Because this is a character of God's wisdom. Somebody stay with me today. I said, are you still with me today? So passing exams at school is good. Uh, but wisdom will help you to build effective families, marriages, businesses, and churches, and even nations. Like we're talking about our nation, Nigeria. So all through the scriptures, you see that one, wisdom can be received. James chapter 1 and verse 5, is there any lack of wisdom? So let him ask. Wisdom can be received. Two, wisdom can be understood. The wisdom of God is not really a mystery. It can be understood. Thirdly, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 18 Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Your life is not supposed to be warfare from beginning to an end. The scripture says in a certain place that your warfare has been accomplished. It is accomplished when you engage wisdom. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. That's why I said wisdom is better than weapons of war. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you rest. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking about wisdom that it can supply to you to make life easier for you. And also wisdom can be practical, practical, practical. And it's on that back, uh, you know, backdrop of practical wisdom that we're discussing the seven commandments of foolishness. Let me wrap it all up today by just talking, taking the first one, which is the first commandment of foolishness. We're talking practical wisdom here. How do you move from foolishness to wisdom? Practically. First, the first commandment of foolishness says, thou shalt not think. Thou shalt not think. Thou shalt not think. So, this is the first maxim of foolishness. To be unwise, one must cease from all productive mental activity and protect your mind from solid food. If you continue like this, foolishness is guaranteed. That the door of one's mind is shut completely from what can nourish it. So to be unwise, one must cease from all productive mental activity. The first commandment of foolishness says, thou shalt not think. But thinking is very important. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, go to the hands, you sluggard. Consider our ways and be wise. See, going to the hand there is to activate thinking. See what is going on in life of an hand. It has no overseer or ruler, but the Bible says it, it makes you know, food for, for, you know, for itself and you know, do all that. Can, you, can that stimulate thinking? Because thinking is very important. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Bible says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, far and above that which you can ask, or think. So it's not enough to ask. God also wants us to think. He wants us to think. He wants to do more than we're thinking, but he wants us to think. You know, Isaiah 55, when you read from verse 10 and, and I think down to 11, it said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So God thinks. He said, as far as the heavens are above the heart, so are my thoughts way above your thoughts. And what he wants is that we can match up and close the gap that we can close the gap. And how do we close the gap? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To renew your mind, you must engage your thinking faculty. But with the right resources. Are you still with me today? With the right resources. With the right raw materials. Where do you source the raw materials for thinking from? The word of God. And kingdom values. Kingdom values. That's what I was talking about when I was talking about Nigeria. Today, when I think about Nigeria, I just, I just think about it from the point of view of love and respect. That's all I think about. And the more I think about it from that point, the more I gain ideas on how we can change the narrative of our nation. But if you think about it from hatred, you will also get ideas. It's just that they will be foolish ideas. Some people talking on TV today and shouting about our country, they are talking foolish talk. Yeah. Because they have been getting bad ideas on how to destroy lives. And we need to do better by engaging our minds on the right ideas, the right things to think about. It's important that we understand that life will not leave you with a choice. It's either you engage your thinking faculty under God and gain wisdom, or shut down your mind and embrace foolishness, and you will have something to show for your foolishness. That's the truth. Some people wait until critical junctures in life where life forces us to think. Can I give some example? Life will force you to think when you fail an exam and you fail it badly. Yeah. As in you banged it. I don't know if you have been there, but you know, if, if you have been there, you bang an exam so seriously, you go back to your room if you're a student, maybe in university, and you'll be thinking... As if you are still okay. <laughs> then you start to think, what really happened? How did I come to this point? You know, some people fail exam and cry. Some people fail exam and life continues. And that's why they fail again. Yeah. Life will force you to think when you get to the altar and you want to marry. I remember before I said my vows, all of a sudden I just became emotional. Because I just realized there's, there's no turning back. No turning back. No turning back. You know, I just became emotional. I was just thinking about it. So I'm marrying today. And today, not today. And, you know. Life will force you to think when a woman comes to you. Maybe that you're married to and says, I'm pregnant. If you have never thought about parenting before, from that point, something just dawns on you that my status has changed. And I need to think about school fees. Yeah. Because before that point, since you paid your own last school fees, you have not thought about school fees. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying because life has a way of pushing us to that point where we are actually forced to think about something. Life will force you to think when you meet all your friends after school and they have all gotten a job and you're yet to get a job, you start to think, what's wrong? But what happens to thinking about a job before you left university? 
Perhaps you have a plan. Perhaps you, you, you would have looked at different opportunities that are available. I was talking to a final year student many years ago. And I asked her, so what, what's hap- going to happen? Now you're in your final year. After you, and she, she, she happened to be a believer. That was the one that really broke my heart. And she said, eh, well, cut a long story short, no plans. And you're in your final year. And uh, you, you, you went to fellowship every day, right? She said, yes. So what are they teaching you there? And you read your Bible, yes? He said, yes. And you, you are not thinking about, <laughs> you know you are graduating in a few months and you have no plans. In my heart, I wanted to ask her, what brand of Christianity? <laughs> because the way a Christian should behave is you apply your heart. You create the future. You engage the Holy Ghost. And it's the Holy Ghost that then starts to prompt your heart about what God has in mind for you. And then you start to think. Because thinking, ladies and gentlemen, is extremely important. Extremely important. Extremely important. Extremely important. It was Zig Ziglar that suggested, had this suggestion, that we may be better off if we were born without a brain or thinking faculty. And we have to purchase it at a certain point in time. So we will know the value of it. Can you imagine? If at 18, your parents have to buy your mind for you. And there are different grades, just like we have cars. So I know rich people will buy BMW mind for their children. And tell them, this is how to take care of it. In fact, for a while, I'll be taking care of it for you. You know what happens to the parents don't take care of the mind of their children. We don't, we don't think about what goes in and all that. You can imagine you, you, you just bought a brand new BMW for someone and it's supposed to be a petrol engine and the person went to put diesel. Will you be looking? Uh-huh. That's what we do today when a child sits in front of a bad TV show and soaking it in, putting diesel in the engine, uh, petrol engine car that will knock the engine and you're looking at it. Because that's where we source the raw materials for thinking from. The Ziegler said, maybe we will be better off if we actually invest, if we, we, we buy our minds. Because we'll take care of it better. We'll engage it better. We'll fire it better. Because there are people who are carrying, you know, six-cylinder engine minds. And they're, they're using it on miniature errands. Yeah. And God says, fire this mind. Think. Engage with me. One of the greatest deterrents to thinking in our age and time is technology. Yeah. Technology. I was on a flight yesterday and we're connecting and a lady beside me, the moment the flight landed, picked up her phone, switched it on to Instagram. And until connection time, she was on Instagram. Yeah. And I was like, this Instagram thing, as in when somebody continues like this, you will start living Instagram life. Yeah. Because that's what you think about all the time. I'm not saying we should not engage social media. But there's a point it gets to that it's a complete distraction. You lose the capacity and the ability to think and engage with reality from time to time. I think it's a time to encourage somebody to fast social media, maybe a few hours of the day, then you go to a whole day. Some of you cannot even imagine it. 
that you didn't get on any social media platform for a whole day. Somebody's thinking, I may die. You won't die. Yeah, you won't die. You will live. Because there are many people here living and well who don't engage that regularly. I know I'm I'm not going to say you should show your hand so that they won't abuse you after service. (laughs) Because they will call you old school. Yeah, but it's not really old school. Every technology is meant to move our lives forward and not to shut it down. Anything that stops you from thinking has stopped you from living. Glory be to Jesus. So my encouragement as I round this all off is be intentional, be deliberate about your thinking. Yeah. Like you brush your teeth every day, have your bath every day if you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just don't want to assume, really. Yeah. The same way we can be intentional about thinking. Yeah. Can I ask myself, what do I need to apply my mind to today? What do I need to think about more today? What do I need to trust God, you know, for wisdom for this week? And carefully engage in the thinking. The more you think and engage God, the more you are able to resolve issues and matters of life and destiny. When you sweep things under the carpet consistently, they will soon overwhelm you. And you will think there's a mystery to them beyond the wisdom of God. And there's nothing like that. God created everything and he has a wisdom angle to every affair of life. Be focused in your thinking. That's my second admonition. And also I would say, uh, when it comes to being focused on your thinking, uh, uh, I think it was Chesterton that says, an open mind is well and good, but like an open mouth, its own, only purpose is to find something solid and nourishing and then close up upon it. Close upon it. Put things in your mind that will nourish your mind and engage your mind to take you to where you're going in life. Be persistent. Stay with it. Thoughts will bear fruit. It's just a matter of time. Be persistent. James Allen has this to say. A man is literally what he thinks. His character being the complete sum of all his thoughts. The character of a man is a complete sum of all of his thoughts. You want to change your character, change your thinking. But it starts with thinking first. It starts with thinking first. Proverbs, uh, uh, I think 23 and verse 7, it says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Yeah. To change your character, you need to change your mind. You need to change your thoughts, what you think about, what you engage your mind with. But the first thing is to say, I will think. Can you ever talk to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I will think this week? I will think much more this week. I will engage with reality this week. I will trust God for wisdom this week to resolve all the affairs of my life. In the precious name of Jesus. This week's weapon against foolishness is what? I said this week's weapon against foolishness is what? Tell your neighbor, say think, 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 think. Praise God. Lift your right hand to Jesus this morning as we pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit here. We thank you for grace to engage your word today. We receive grace to think. Not ordinary thoughts, but great thoughts. 
supernatural thought. Thought from your heart coming into our heart. This week, as we open our heart, we ask, give somebody a new idea. In the name of Jesus. This week, as we open our hearts, we ask, Father, give us a new perspective. Help us to see the situations of our lives from a new dimension. Give us the wisdom angle to every affair of our lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus. This morning as a church, we stand against the hold of foolishness in the heart of everyone. We decree in the name of Jesus an end to the manifestations of foolishness. In our marriages, in our careers, in our businesses, we engage the wisdom of God. And we ask that you fill our hearts afresh with your wisdom. We thank you, our Father. We give you glory and we give you praise. Wave your hands to Jesus all over this place and just bless him for his wisdom, for his grace. Lord, we thank you. We receive today wisdom from you. We receive wisdom from you. 